Live from the MathNet Precinct, this is Derailed Trains of Thought. All right, here we are. Wow, I this is a dream come true, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know... I, Algebra I'm, does matter in real life. <laughs> of course. I, that's the whole point of us being here. Yeah. Just, you know, the fact that, you know, watch patterns, look for, you know, the inconsistencies and yeah. in the numbers and make sure everything adds up. Exactly. It, it's a good thing. And the stories may be lies, but they're short. So <laughs> <laughs> very true. Very true. Yeah. So we're having a good time here. I mean, it's been a while since we've been in like a real, like an actual normal location. I know it looks pretty normal, except, you know, they're all, you know, all, it, all the, all the surroundings tend to be very numbers oriented, which is convenient yes. for me. I, I enjoy that. Yeah. Well, it works for you, but thankfully there, there's, we've got some good company here. Yeah. I mean, I had this taxi driver bring me in because the traffic out here, outside was horrible, but uh, this taxi driver, he seemed a pretty cool, cool dude. And uh, weird to have a taxi driver work for a police station, though. Yeah. It's New York. It's New York. <laughs> Anything's possible in New York. But, so how's does, your... Does a taxi driver work for the people in uh, personal interest? Uh, they probably have a contact somewhere, <laughs> but not like a regular liaison, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think. I just, I only watched the pilot. I remember the one taxi driver was. Okay. <laughs> So, uh, how's your summer going, Nick? Uh, it's going pretty well. Busy, but um, moving along at a, at a pretty uh, respectable clip. Yep. yep. I understand that. Um, I've done one vacation so far. i got another trip to go sometimes here. Same for me. Yeah. yeah we got the, the full Hayden family vacation coming in at the end of July. I've been writing pretty steadily i i heard nice. i heard the whole hayden clan's going camping this time is yeah, that new uh yes we're basically like rving slash camping around the michigan up area it'll be okay. interesting now like like my brother-in-law austin he wants he's going to just like sleep under the stars like he's not going to use a tent or anything apparently Ooh. he loves this sort of stuff and Haley, <laughs> his wife my sister it says she's not sleeping outside no matter what she's in the rv <laughs> so <laughs> I, she sometimes wonder how they got how how they got married, but <laughs> yeah. Well, I, actually, I'm surprised. Uh, I'm surprised she's gonna be staying in an RV because she always told me camping was very exciting. You it, know, it was, it was intense. It, intense. Yes. yes. <laughs> that was her joke. She used to always say every time I was over, or at least one of you know most. That, was that joke or what's brown and sticky? Yeah, yeah, one mm. of those. Yeah, a stick. So a stick. Yeah. In case he had not heard that one. <laughs> I'm <Richard>. sorry. <laughs> so, shall we introduce our... Uh... Are you ready to move on to into story school? Very smooth transition there. <laughs> that Nick. was that was nice. <laughs> that was almost like we planned it. Yeah, something like that. So anyway, after the last episode, where we at the end we were realizing that we, well, as we often have, that we use a lot of the same references to things. Nick came up with this crazy idea of what would happen if we purposely kept ourselves from using from naming some of those stories that we reference so often. So we will mention them very quickly, and then we will not be allowed to mention them again this entire podcast. Well. At least for story school. Yeah, well, as, as much as possible. As much as possible. <laughs> so, well, you're already hedging your bets there, too. <laughs> so, things that will not be mentioned in this podcast include Lost, 
Star Wars, Doctor Who, Lord of the Rings, anything by C.S. Lewis, anything by Jim Henson, Battlestar Galactica, Babylon 5, yeah. um, Final Fantasy, <laughs> anything Final Fantasy related, uh, Mario, Miyazaki, Miyazaki. <sighs> Basically, if we've mentioned it in a previous podcast, we're going to attempt not to mention it today. <laughs> That, that could cover a lot of ground. It covers a lot of ground. Like, I won't, I'll try not to mention, say, Puss in Boots travels around the world. Yes. Or Homestar, or other such things. Yeah. I, th- I think that covers... Think, most of most of the big ones. Yeah, most of the big ones. Now, when I was when I suggested this, I was thinking part of the reason we mentioned the same thing there, some of the ones we mentioned are ones that, as I looked at them, they were either very long, so they, you know, they have more to talk about, a lot of TV shows, mm-hmm. you know, or they're in the public consciousness to a certain extent. Um, so th- those are the easiest because people we talk about them more often. We've seen them more often, so we have either talk about. But there's a lot of influences that you know you read or you watch and you like it. It, it impacts you, but it goes kind of second tier because it's not as accessible. You've only read it once or twice as opposed to ten times. You know, no one else knows about it, so you don't talk about it all the time. But it still kind of seeps into your consciousness, into your creative self. I think. Yeah. Or, or it's just something that has not been it impacted you as recently as something yeah. else. You know, once you've read the novel that kind of changes your life, or see the TV yeah. show that redefines what you think TV should be, then that's kind of going to be the one you're always referring back to. I can't mention Dostoevsky today. Yeah, being um, <laughs> <laughs> novels. Um, but I thought I'd start with kind of a just an idea. That I guess influenced even this podcast. But I have never. I don't think I've ever talked about, or if I have, in, only in passing, which would be. Poem by Walt Whitman. We don't bring up poems very often. No, we don't. Called uh, A Child Went Forth. I think it's in the Leaves of Grass collection. Anyway, in high school, we had to read it. And it's about, it says, like, a child went forth and everything you saw became part of him. Basically, that's the paraphrase. And then kind of lists all these things that, be, you know, formed him. His mother doing this and the grass and the sun. And, you know, it's very naturey because that's Walt Whitman. But um, kind of saying everything that you, you, you encounter changes and becomes part of who you are. I guess that's was sort of the idea behind this podcast saying look there's a lot of stuff that makes us our creative selves and our our what interests us besides the things we talk about all the time um and and that poem has always stuck with me since high school yeah. i've made my writers write in my in my students write about it and so obviously that's one of my kind of i don't talk about it but it's kind of there this idea that things all get absorbed into you yeah and and like i said like i said i think a lot of those things are you mentioned high school, and, yeah. and I know some of your big influences, like another one you can't talk about is Wheel of Time. Yes. Oh, come, come from high school or in college, and that seems to be, because that's a very formative time. Yeah. But I think probably a number of the ones that are on our list are from, like, our childhood. Yeah. Um, exactly. They're older, so they've, they've been subsumed or overshadowed by other things, but they were the first stepping stone. And what's interesting, that even bad things, like things that are not that great of a story – can sometimes have some element in it that's like, oh, this was this is worth keeping. Yeah, you don't tend to talk about the ones that were basically bad, but this one thing works good. And uh, <laughs> and it, it's always fun sometimes when you go back and see those things. Like one that's not really on my list is uh, Five O Goes West, which I love that movie, but I don't think I really picked up any deep long term yeah. things from it. But I remember going back one point watching it, and it's like, oh man, I used to quote some of these lines all the time, <laughs> and now I just just don't as much anymore. Yeah, exactly. So, shall we open up this list? Do you have yes. any, Do you have a I one think, to start with? I think your list is a little bit bigger than mine. Okay. So, well, I'll let you go first. Well, okay. My list I made, and then I realized that some of them were just I liked and I don't talk about. 
So I might not include all those, but and then some of them, I don't know if they influenced me in the sense that they changed how I thought or whether they resonated with something that was already there and I then say, oh, this is where I point to do as an example of what I would like to do. Mm-hmm. The one that I think I might have mentioned before, one or two that I might mentioned briefly before, Strange Luck. Have I mentioned that on the podcast? I can't remember. Like your list was, I was, I was impressed with your list enough because I didn't, like I've known you for a while and I didn't recognize most of the things in that one. <laughs> well, well, Strange well, luck is a possibility. Yeah. Though. So, well, anyways, in case I mentioned it, well, it's low on the prior. Okay, this was a show. It was only on for one season. I think it was in high school or late middle school. X Files was on early X Files, and the concept was it was this guy. He wasn't lucky, but coincidences happened around him, and they would, they would kind of form together for an ending every time. There was like this one. And again, my details are very sketchy. But I, don't, I don't think you can get it anywhere now. It was D.B. Sweeney was the main character. The guy from... Uh, Cutting Edge. Cutting Edge. Yeah. Yep. Topic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and there was one I, I thought was particularly good at the time where they were trying to... There was this guy who's going to be electrocuted from like a death chamber, but he was the wrong guy, and they were trying to prove his innocence. And anyways, the guy who was supposed to get killed somehow... There was this car accident right at the end. This power line fell on him and electrocuted him. I mean, it's like just like Rube Goldberg machine sort of plots. And I ever since then, or maybe it would just touch something me, this obsession with uh, with luck. I love luck as a as a plot device, as a character trait, as things just co- coinciding, and you're just kind of like, what? Am, what's? Why are all these things happening to me? You know, I guess it's a. I guess it's kind of an early version of the catastrophe mm. in some ways. Mm-hmm. It then got subsumed or overshadowed by certain people in a series by Robert Jordan I can't name. Um, but I think that show has always lasted with me. I've always thought that, especially that one episode I remember very vividly, I would love to go back and watch and see if it was as good as I thought it was. Yeah. But I tried to even write some short stories after that, kind of that style. There's just like events happening around you that are coincidental, and then you kind of are the, the, the agents who make it all pan out. Did the show ever have an ending? Did they ever like go in, try to figure out why he was having this well, strange luck? They started doing that near the end of season one, and there was actually it sounded like there was going to be like Agent Mulder, like na- name was dropped in the show. Oh, really? Yeah, they had thought about doing a crossover. Yeah, and then it kind of just died after the first season. Like oh, it was on wow. Fox, you know, back when Fox yeah. was doing all kinds of stuff. Stuff. <laughs> yeah, but it didn't. La- it lasted a season. I think Slyers on at the same time. Uh, um, Space Above Beyond, which is on my list, was on. Which was another show. Both these shows were around the same time. Space Above Beyond basically is early version Battlestar Galactica of the new version. I mean, it was kind of real gritty, sci-fi. Not quite as gritty because it was the 90s. It had AI and, like, you know, it was real kind of dark, realistic space battles and stuff. It was written by one of the X-Files guys, too. I think those guys were just all over the place, like, changing TV at the time or trying things. Yeah. Um, and that show, I really, um, that lasted, like, a season or season and a half, too. And all the way shows I love just died, <laughs> but um, have been since been overshadowed by other versions of that. But that was, I think, probably the grittiest space thing I had seen. Certainly, way more than Star Trek, and even to a certain extent, more than it was. You know, more than Babylon Five. Um, so it's hard not to at least reference reference it. Yeah, so. as a, in comparison. Yeah, yeah. So, so those were, I guess, those were two TV series that in my teenage years were left impact of what you could do in TV and just the story. I don't think I ever watched Strange Luck, but I do remember the the commercials leaving an impact and thinking, that looks really interesting, partly just because I recognize the guy from, hey, that's the guy from Cutting Edge. <laughs> 
Um, but I would, yeah, I'd be, I'd love to see that if they ever put that on DVD. All right. Well, for uh, my first one, I thought probably a good foundation to put down would be the Davy Crockett movies. Okay. Now, <laughs> you know, back when my folks got a VCR when I was about six or seven or so, you know, VCRs have been around for longer, but it took us a little while to get one. Um, and, you know, at that time, VHS tapes were expensive. So you that was why, you know, rentals houses were very yeah. popular. And, mm. and that's how I got to see a lot of all the early Disney and live action, all that stuff. But I remember the one that I had my mom check out the most, I think, for for a stretch period was the Davy Crockett movies. And I was thinking about why this was. And I think it's because I think he was my first example of what I've come to talk about as like a quote unquote perfect hero mm. because Davy Crockett is a, was a, you know, in, in these movies is a, is a great role model. He, uh, you know, obviously the thing that is going to attract a boy to it is the fights and the action and all that, that kind of stuff. But uh, particularly in the, in the main movie, um, which is about his life and not necessarily the river pirates one, which is more of a folktale legend kind of thing. But the one that's about his life, you know, he goes from fighting the Indians to making a peace treaty with them to going to Congress and fighting for their rights. I mean, that, that you know, that's a pretty nuanced approach for a boy at that time. You know, it's not just, you know, nowadays it's pretty it's pretty common for Indians to kind of be portrayed as the victims, you know, and all this kind of stuff. These movies, I felt had, you know, they were nuanced, you know. We went to war against them at a time to protect ourselves because, you know, they were attacking us. And, you know, obviously they weren't we had done the white people had done things that weren't good and Indians had done people that weren't good. And so there was a reason to go to war. But then after that, there was a reason to try to make peace with them. And Davy Crockett was a hero that would try to keep the peace. He was a honorable man in that sense. And then, you know, at the, at the very end of the movie, he goes and fights in the Alamo and, you know, dies. And that's and they handle it very well. I mean, they don't, you, you don't see him die on the screen, but you, you know, you know, that's what that's told. That's what happened. And it's a pretty it's held with a good amount of depth for, uh, you know, what is really a family friendly film. So I think that was a, a very instrumental thing. It, it got me on a kind of a frontier kick that uh, I had for a little while. And I think it's probably one reason why I. uh still enjoyed westerns and uh like old movies yeah. for for a stretch um more than some of my contemporaries i think mm-hmm. but so anyway that's my first one nice. all right the rune lords by david farland okay this is a whole series it's like five or six books and i only ever read the first book for so there was something in it that i didn't find interesting enough to keep reading <laughs> but the concept of it has always fascinated me and influenced a lot of future writing and the idea of the rune lords is that you could run faster by taking someone else's speed, or you could gain strength by taking someone else's strength or eyesight by taking someone else's eyesight. And that, like, sometimes there would be vassals, you know, in your castle that who were all blind, so that you had like six times the sight, sort of thing. Hmm. And there had the crazy fights of people who had, you know, sucked up who knows how much, you know, power from other people. And mm-hmm. but obviously, this idea of sort of a transfer magic. Um, <laughs> it's been influencing Children of the Wells and other other such. Uh, that's the main influence currently. But this idea that of a magic that's kind of a give and take of a someone loses something for someone to gain something, to me, is a much more interesting magic system than like 
I sp speak words and something happens or I draw the power of, you know, Cthulhu or whatever. It was just a very dramatic way of using magic. But it's always been it's always been fascinating to me in any case. Sure. Okay. Well, for the next one, I'm going to I'm going to bend the rules a little bit. Dun dun dun. Uh be because I don't talk about this show a whole lot and even though it in a sense is against the rule, it's not one that I, I brought up a lot, but I do think it's important. And that was um <clears throat> Muppet Babies. Muppet Baby. Okay, we'll get, we'll get away with that. Yeah, because it was my bridge from, I watched Lost Sesame Street, and it was the, my bridge to finding out more about the other Muppet characters and, you know, that whole Muppet show world. But but the other, and I wouldn't mention if it was just that, because the other important thing I think about it was, as a kid, the focus on imagination in there, you know, and they would, I love the idea that you could take whatever you had seen on TV or read about or, you know, all those kind of things and make your own imaginary world out of yeah. it and uh pretend games were a very important part of my uh childhood in the during a certain period and uh i think that's where the germ of the desire for storytelling comes from it's during those times when you know you're free to come up with the most crazy free-flowing stories as you want when you're a kid yeah and um, because you you don't have all the expectations of oh someone else has already done that <laughs> and all this kind of stuff and uh, it, it's a simple kind of influence, but I do think uh, Muppet Babies was a big part of that. Got all kinds of different stuff here. I like this. This is it. This is it. Okay. <laughs> Real, kind of related to Rune Lords in the same sort of, I guess, wheelhouse of like mixing things up. There was a book called Star Shield Sentinels, which really is not a very good book. Um, <laughs> I reread it recently. But I remember thinking, oh, the idea was great. And the idea is great, but the story itself just doesn't quite work. It's by Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman, which are most famous for the Dragonlance novels. For me, they're most famous for Deathgate Cycle, but I didn't put that on this list because I think I've probably mentioned it on podcast, have I? I don't remember it. Really? Oh, I might have to drop some Deathgate Cycle here then. <laughs> um, the Deathgate Cycle is, in my opinion, their, their, their most influential work on me. The Starship Sentinels, which was supposed to start a whole other role-playing universe stuff, and it just kind of didn't work. But the cool thing was that the, it was a universe, like in space, where there were boundaries between different levels of physics changed as you went from world to world. Like some places were highly magical and some places were highly scientific and there were places where it was kind of half and half. And so like if you were going from planet to planet, you'd have to have like a, you know, a photon drive and then also like magical dragons once you cross over the realm into hmm. the magic. Uh -huh. the, like there were, there were fronts of magic and physics, kind of like weather in space. Interesting. And I've always I've always found it fascinating this kind of uh mixing up of, you know, your normal things. Like I guess it was taken over later and you know what steampunk's become in some ways or um some some like Final Fantasy 7 that kind of, you know, you're mixing magic and tech sort of stuff. But this that the rules for the universe change depending on where you are, which I guess actually there's another story I think I've probably mentioned on here before that I want to write someday about this world where it's constantly changing. Like, the rules are constantly changing. Yeah. I, um, I, yeah, I was going to say, this sounds kind of familiar. So, obviously, influential in lots of... There's a lot of ideas that I've taken that have fallen into me, and then I haven't found a way to get them out yet in a, in, mm. in, in, in the most direct fashion. I might have done in, you know, I've oh, I'll mix this sort of stuff up. Like, Show in the Wells, we have a scientific world with magic. You know, it's not really yeah. steampunk, but it's... right. But, you know, mixing those two elements and having the, the, the intrigue that comes from that. So kind of like Rune Lords where you're, you're changing things up in a very timey-wimey sort of way. <laughs> sure. 
<laughs> Sorry for the Doctor Who reference there. <laughs> you could have gotten away with it without saying what it was from. Oh, yeah. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> All right. Um, my next one I will throw in here um, is Adventures in Odyssey. I guess from a media perspective, Adventures in Odyssey was kind of funny because I think I came at it differently than most people did because I, I started watching, they had a direct-to-video series first. Mm-hmm. Um, that's I started watching that first, and then later I got into the audio dramas. Uh, the radio show. I think most people did it the other way around, but, um, but, and arguably the radio series was more influential to me than the directed to video VHS tapes were because the radio show was much more expansive. And I think from that, I really was first introduced to kind of the idea of Odyssey was almost an anthology show in some ways, because it all took place in town. There was a central location, Wits End, the ice cream shop, um, Emporium place, um, that all that everything kind of centered around, but you could they managed to have like any kind of story come out of that. They had like they were able to go back in time and do do Bible stories. They w- could do contemporary stories. They could do go on adventures. There were some mysteries. There were cons- conspiracies, adventure, all kinds of stuff. So adventures and Odyssey was a very appropriate term for it. And um, and I, I've always liked that idea. And I think I used. I definitely use some things perhaps a little unknowingly when we were creating the story project. <laughs> uh, my my character, Dr. Zayadchak, was uh, influenced more than probably I realized by uh, Mr. Whitaker from... <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. Yeah, from Adventures in Odyssey. So I think I think that was an important influence. And it's also in some other things, which I will lump into a separate category in a moment. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm not sure. I got a lot of small ones here, so I might just do like two or three real quick ones here. There's a lot of weird fantasy out there, like kind of one-shot deals that, okay, there was this one book, and I don't even know the name of it anymore, and it was like hardcore, like there were fairies and stuff, and I never read anything like that, and, and all that left me with was this idea of fae, F-E-Y, and ever since that, I've been, I've, I've liked that word, <laughs> and the idea of it, this idea of, of whatever, so that's a minor one, but... Uh, that's not even on my list. It just, I don't even know what it's called anymore. It got from the library one time. It just always stuck with me as being like weird. That one book somewhere sometime. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and there's a lot of those. There's like images I remember from my childhood. But there's this book called The Blind Worm. It was one of these ace double sci-fi books. When you would have two books, one, you'd flip the book over and there'd be another book. Um, my dad has a collection of them. There, there's some neat stuff there. I, haven't, I would like to read more of them. Blind Worm was what impacted me about it, I don't really remember anything about the story except there's this, but is this sense of age and foreignness and alienness. I don't know. It really worked. Like just the atmosphere, just this, this alien, like just this old, old world, you know, like, oh, I think a lot of older sci-fi tends to get away with that more because it's not so hard sci-fi. It's, it's like mm. somewhere between fantasy and stuff. And I guess that atmosphere really impacted me. I'm not sure it's how it's influenced me yet, but the fact that you can get away with creating with words this sort of foreignness, but like with life, not like it's not like you're on Mars and just feels weird, but like all the like the jungles and everything was just beyond the human comprehension. And you were just kind of overwhelmed by it. And there were just things you didn't understand, but you felt like it made sense to someone. Actually, Solaris by... Sansol Lem does the same thing in a completely different and better way, but not not as not as a pulpy. And I think that's what Blind Worm did in such an interesting way. It was very pulpy about it. Um, and then the Shadow Moon, which is by Chris Claremont, and it was a sequel to Willow. Didn't like the book at all, but I've always remembered it. And the main reason is because 
the girl that's the princess grows up and she's just a brat. She's just horrible. It's like the whole prophecy went wrong. Um, if you read Strin Fred, you see what happened. <laughs> um, but this, this idea of like that the prophecy that seemed to have been a good thing that we saved the princess and then it's just like it's gone horribly wrong because we overcompensate the prophet. You know, that what was supposed to be good turned out not good because we treated it so well. Mm. I guess I, I'm really affected by these things that are kind of like a twist on normal archetypes. And they're so archetypal, but they're just they just push in a completely different angle. A lot, of, a lot of old school influences fell into Strand and Fred. I mean, within the first 50 pages, there's like, I could name you like a list of books that, you know, <laughs> right. <laughs> fell in. Yeah. But I mean, Pokemon, I don't even watch it, like <laughs> fell into the first 50 pages. So <laughs> uh, that's interesting. I, well, I guess I won't mention other influences of yours because they would fall in the forbidden category <laughs> <laughs> of what I've seen in Strand and Fred. Oh, yeah. But, there's a lot of, yeah, big ones, but yeah. Um, okay, let's see. I guess to, to pick up where I left off with Adventures and Odyssey, um, the other thing about that that show is that it was, you know, a Christian series for kids to teach them uh, certain morals. And we pick on Christian fiction a lot, or I don't know, I don't know if we've picked on it a lot, a lot, but we tend to, nowadays, especially with Christian writers, we tend to not want to go for the big the morals and not that you don't want morality in it, but you're trying not to teach a lesson so much as you're, you know, telling a story. Because, yeah. and I do think that's an important thing. But I think I've always kind of had an inner conflict with that at the same time because I have Adventures in Odyssey, which is obviously, you know, trying to get a point. And then there are also some books that I read over and over again um, as a kid were the Cooper Kid Adventure series um, by Frank Peretti, and then there was. Yeah, yeah. Then there was another kid adventure. The word adventure comes up a lot in a lot of these, but it was called the Peabody Adventure Series by Jerry Massey, which I don't think most people who aren't homeschoolers will have heard of because it was by Bob Jones University Press. But um, anyway, um, but I used to read these a lot and they were important at the time in a sense that these were Christian characters that were approaching their these problems and these adventures and these dangers from the perspective of their faith. And that's a very important thing, especially for going into the teenage years, having, you know, this kind of foundation of being able to understand how, what I believe how and how it affects, you know, the rest of the world around me mm-hmm. and being able to put that in a, in a adventure setting that's going to appeal to a young boy, I think is, is very important. Um, it's kind of warped in some ways now, again, because I've read, you know, people like Tolkien, who, okay, sort of a forbidden yeah. name <laughs> there, but, you know, but giving kind of more the, the impression of how art can also be, you know, not, not quite so direct, um, especially for an, yeah, you know, as you get into older audiences, yeah. you don't want the overt messages, but at the same time, I don't think I will ever be the sort of person that hides my perspective yeah. too much because you know sometimes you'll read a book and be like okay that was interesting but what are you trying to say yeah <laughs> um i don't think i'll ever be an author like that because of you know some of my past experiences then so we're about at the half hour mark here i'm going to just summer i'm going to just pick one more because a lot of my other ones are kind of just little tiny this one instance this one instance but i'll throw in idols of the king by uh tennyson as kind of the i guess the symbol for things like I was the King, Paradise Lost, The Odyssey, uh, Dante's Inferno, the, the sort of epic poem. And I guess a couple reasons. One, there's a certain beauty in the epic poems that you don't get in normal fiction, a way of using words. 
um, and creating big. T- I don't know. It, it's a very different reading experience, and not it's not everything, but it's it's a nice exposure to be like using words in this sort of poetic way. And some people do like I can't mention Ray Bradbury, but um, but also I think I was the king, especially, and I, I really want to reread it soon here because. First off, it's, you know, King Arthur. It's good adventure, fantasy, good and wrong, right and wrong. But also because it does have this this very strong Christian, not just point of view, but symbolism in it. I mean, King Arthur basically is a Christ figure. And everything goes wrong once Lancelot, you know, commits adultery with Guinevere. And that the the unity that was there starts breaking apart because of sin. I mean, it's, it's telling you know, a good old story with all this extra meaning. Um, or or um, symbolism and stuff, and I'm not a big one on super symbolism, but I guess I'm really I'm really impressed with people who can you know look it's King Arthur and then also say but they're all you know these are all influ- uh, types of this applicable in many ways if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, and I think that's the most uh, like that. I mean, Paradise Lost obviously is a little more direct, and Dungeons Inferno, and you know, or even more direct and not so adventury and more like. We're telling you something on purpose. But King Arthur is like this big story and cool characters, but also like the consequences of things. And it's a tragedy, which is always sad, but nice. I that kind of bounces well off the the uh, whole Christian fiction yeah. thing in a, in a sense. I'm I think I've got two, at least two more I want to mention real good. That's okay. No, no, we can go as long as you want. I just I, <laughs> mine are not worth not worth going into too much detail yeah. for. Well, I don't know if you noticed a theme. A lot of the ones I picked out were very are very childhood oriented, um, and less too hard to us in a sense. But there's also a, a more of an adult uh, hinge on them too. One I'll say is, um, growing up, we went to did went to libraries a lot. Back then, they didn't have libraries. Didn't tend to do superhero comic books a lot. Um, if you had comic books, most often you had Garfield and Peanuts. I, I love Peanuts, especially. Yeah. I always identified a lot with uh, with those. And I think because the lesson I pulled away from from this one is that um, for all the for all the lightheartedness, Snoopy and the fun, the fun stuff, Peanuts ha- can could get very deep. You know, it had touched on depression, loneliness, unrequited love. I read a bit of Charles Schultz's biography when I was in high school and uh, just and it was fascinating to me at that time how much uh, he viewed what he did as like he couldn't live without doing that. And it bore out. I mean, he he passed away as his last strip was coming out uh, for him. He said it was like, you know, why does a poet write poetry? Why does an artist paint? Well, that's why I do what I do. And he channeled a lot of his own inner struggles through this very simple drawn comic strip. And I think that's something that's always kind of stuck with me that, you know, in essence, Charlie Brown, Linus, Lucy, they're still all kids. And yet they're able to really touch on some deep things. And again, not in a style that because I, I hate cartoony styles that that get too far out or too gritty or too Tex Avery or something like that. When I don't think it's really necessary. And I know I've always I've always liked the style of Peanuts and. A lot of people, it's Calvin and Hobbes is the darling of the yeah. internet nowadays, and I understand why. There's always, there's especially that nostalgia factor since it ended so much sooner than Peanuts did. Yeah. But Peanuts was my first love um, in the comic strip realm. Um, and so did you have well, one? Well, I just have to throw in here, you know, probably my first deep love in the comic strip realm was? 
that's at? Far side. Oh, yeah, probably. <laughs> oh, man, that is perfect humor right there. <laughs> so that goes with other, my off-kilter sense of humor. So um, I don't know if I want to add anymore. I just got, like, lists. I'll just, I, I guess I'll just throw out, there's a lot of sci-fi that, like, 2001 A Space Odyssey, Rendezvous with Rama, which is Arthur C. Clarke as well, which was the first book I ever read that was, like, I mean, basically nothing, from what I remember, nothing happens but they explore the space station. And it was just science, you know. <laughs> and it was, it, I, I remember it. Um, a lot of, I mean, Asimov I've talked about before, but the Foundation, uh, the, well, not the trilogy, like I think I read all like six or seven Foundation books. Those were early idea novels for me, which obviously has influenced me <laughs> in various ways. And some of those I've mentioned, but I think there's a lot of that. And then I'll just throw it out here because I wrote down, I figured not everyone's heard of it, The Point. It's kind of like somewhere between Phantom Tollbooth and Yellow Submarine. But I remember really enjoying it, and I, I even they got it for me for, for birthday sometime on DVD because it's just it's one of those lesser-known kind of whimsical, you know, in the vein of Alice in Wonderland or Phantom Tollbooth where there's lessons and there's weird world and there's crazy Beatles music. It's narrated by Ringo Starr, I think. Um, crazy, crazy 70s music. But I always liked that, and then other things came up that I talked about more. Like Phantom Tollbooth and you know and Alice Wonderland, um, but I think I've always been connected to this sort of whimsical, crazy fantasy world that also kind of means something. I mean, Girl Called Snort runs kind of in this, <laughs> in this realm. It doesn't have the it doesn't have the seventies music, but but the Hobbit does. Um, <laughs> hey. hey. <laughs> We should have had some sort of like warning Deeper. sound. <laughs> Movies on. Uh, so I'll just throw those out there as my last things. Be that that's most of it. I could throw out Dark is Rising as another fantasy series and mm. King Lear and stuff like that. But that's basically my list that I could think of at the time. Gargoyles, which Zach liked much better, but I always thought was kind of the first an, uh, anime series that was like an evolving series that I felt like. Kind of like, you know, like Avatar became, mm -hmm. um, where there were characters and things changed and relationships between, you know, it wasn't, it didn't feel static. Sure. So anyways, okay, that's it. <laughs> okay, my last. Um, I'll give a quick shout out to some classics and then I'll do my real, real ending one. Um, huge fan of Treasure Island, uh, Robert, oh, yeah. Robert Louis Stevenson in general for obvious reasons. Um, I read a lot of Sherlock Holmes uh, at one time. I don't think I didn't I, get that till late in life. Yeah, so. I don't. I don't think I kept following the mystery vein for very long, but I don't enjoy those. Encyclopedia Brown. <laughs> oh yes, Encyclopedia Boxcar Children. Boxcar Children. Yeah, those... Dark is Rising though. That book was awesome, and that's a cycle. If I didn't mention that earlier. Yeah, yeah. I went through my my reading in um, my reading during childhood and through most of high school was was Hardy mainly boys. adventure and mystery stuff. Um, and I've said before, I didn't really get into to fantasy much until senior year of high school when I read a certain book that I can't talk about. <laughs> yeah, I skewed into fantasy pretty early on, I guess. Yeah. So um, that's where we differ. But the last, the last thing I want to mention is is in the fantasy category, and that's Peter Pan. Um, okay, yeah. Particularly Jay and Barry. I got into Peter Pan, surprisingly, a bit more in college. I actually had read Peter Pan, the book, when I was a kid, and I don't know that it made... I liked the Disney movie better at that time, but I think um, the adults like better than kids. I think I like th Alice in Wonderland. I think it is in, in a lot of ways because the well, what well, first kind of got me into it, and again, it was like in two thousand five, two thousand four, when Finding Neverland came oh, yeah. out. That was, and I really liked that movie. And again, it was at a time when I was 
into a certain Japanese animation director mm. a lot, and oh, yeah. I was, I was like, I was getting more into fantasy, and so I, I like, you know, I want to go back and read the book, and so I read it, and um, it really made it. It was an interesting time for me to read it. It made an impact, you know, because I was getting near the end of my college, my time in college, and I was very aware at that time of this transition from childhood, teenage, into, you know, full-fledged adult life. You know, you graduate college, you're supposed to become a grown-up. Um, I'm 30, and I still don't know if I really qualify <laughs> as that, but uh, but it, it certainly made an impression on me then. And I actually wrote my senior thesis in college about, Peter Pan and about different adaptations of it. I still maintain the 2003 movie was the best, the most most accurate in some ways. But in the end, Peter Pan is a very bittersweet fantasy because Peter is the boy we would all like to be and yet the boy that we don't want to become. Um, we love the idea of, in one sense, the idea of not growing up is, you know, heaven. It's lots of nonstop fun and adventure and all this kind of stuff. But on the other hand, Peter is rather lonely. Um, he keeps getting these kids and bringing them over from London. It seems kind of to show off in a sense. And because uh, he doesn't, he refuses to go into real deep commitment or love. He doesn't want to, he doesn't want to push love too far. And in that sense, he's very tragic. The, the not growing up is very tragic in that sense. But, that's part of why I always objected to the way Peter Pan was done in Once Upon a Time, oh, yeah. because they took all the bad parts of Peter, his selfishness, his his uh, lack of courage, his bossiness, um, and didn't keep any of his good parts. Yeah. His, I mean, because he did want to, to share adventures with people and he didn't want to protect and he wanted to have fun and... You know, there's a lot of good aspects to Peter Pan, but he's but there's a lot of bad too. So I've always Peter Pan as an adult was a was an important lesson, I think, in the into a next stage of life. Oh, okay, I'm gonna throw in one more. Ah, sorry, I know. <laughs> no, but I thought I haven't done any nonfiction, and I have to throw out Orthodoxy by uh, G.K. Chesterton, which yeah, is like I'd echo that because. The way it melds, we've been talking a lot about fantasy, melds fantasy and fairy tales with real life and Christianity is actually astounding. And there's no one who reads like G.K. Chesterton. I mean, the way he puts arguments together is very much him. So if you haven't read it, go find it. It's kind of, you know, overshadowed now by, like, mere Christianity and stuff. But it's certainly its, its own thing. Sure. So, okay, I, that's it. And I guess if you're – I'm going to throw in one other okay. quick one. Uh <laughs> And unfortunately, I haven't actually read, I don't think I've read the full thing. I'm not sure. I was trying to remember the other day if this was a chapter in a book of hers that I read or if it was a full essay. But Dorothy Sayers, The Whimsical Christian. Again, I don't remember if it was a because I read this for a class and it was about Christian imagination. And I don't remember, again, I don't remember if it was a chapter of a whole or if it was a whole essay. I feel like I feel like the whimsical Christian is a whole book that I need to go read. But <laughs> but her comments on the Christian imagination were very, again, very influential in terms of uh, a new creative writer. And I've probably talked about this that on the podcast before, but not a lot. No, not a lot. We've we mentioned Leaf and whatever more, probably. Yeah, probably. What, what is it? Leaf and Leaf by Niggle? No, the Tolkien. Yeah. It's Leaf by Niggle. It's Leaf Leaf by Niggle. Oh, is that the essay? Oh no, no, no. no that's the that's a short story. Yeah. Okay. The his uh, essay is on fairy tales. Oh, that's right. It's in the collection of things called like something else. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that's story school. Okay. Yep. So very <laughs> very long, but I think the second half will be much shorter. Um. So sorry if you were really looking. And so forward so to... just you know we have more than just those other unknowable things. No. <laughs> <laughs>
Yes, we, unmentionables. We, we we didn't want to give uh, too much information for Google and to for their profiles on us. And I, I would like uh, if you're listening to this, you know, come come to uh, dot com. Tell us some of your you know lesser known influences, things that you know maybe have the drag up. Like, oh yeah, that was where I got started on this trend on this, this path thing. you know because uh, and it's, it's been useful for me thinking back on some of this stuff and just seeing the building blocks in a sense mm -hmm. of where you know some of these the backgrounds of where these ideas came from yeah so pretty cool stuff all right but with that we'll go into soundtrack Okay, so begin keeping with our theme. Couldn't do certain uh, games we get music from a lot. So I went back. Everyone has got, I think, pro anyone who's played games, I think, has probably got a game that they enjoyed or they had or played a lot that uh, no one else really remembers. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, for me, that game is Jackal. Uh, this is an NES game that I used to play with my cousin Jeremy a lot. We used to... Uh, well, I remember we used to use a game genie and to, to, <laughs> to beat the whole thing. And then when we were older, we had the NES we had was the front loading one. The game genie wouldn't fit in there. So uh, we could get to the last uh, level, but we could never beat it again. <laughs> but uh, but Jackal was fun. It was like it was it was a Konami shoot 'em up. You were on a jeep going into enemy territory to free prisoners of war. You know, good. Good shoot 'em up stuff. So anyway, this is a remix of a of the main theme from Jackal. It's called Mounted Machine Gun Funk, and it's by Beat Drop. So hope you enjoy.
and we're back. Hello. Hope you enjoy that. It, like it's not a not the best of uh, songs down here, but I didn't know when else I'd be able to <laughs> crack that out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, Tim's going to s- surprise something on me here. I guess. Yes, that's right. It is time for another installment of It's Came from the Interwebs. Okay, in this segment, we uh, bring up something from something crazy that was online, and uh, we uh, experience it together. And again, right. I'm springing something on Nick that he's never seen. Now, I did... I did don't you know how to spell this time? <laughs> no, no, you don't. Uh, I did steal this from... Uh, there's a YouTube series I like called Glove and Boots. Oh, Glove and Boots, great, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, I haven't watched it recently, but yeah, I like them. Yeah, they they did one. I don't know. Maybe I don't know if you've seen this one or not. Then um, they did one a while back that was like ten things on the internet we don't understand. I, I think I did see that one. Oh, okay, yeah. so uh, you may you might be familiar with this. Been a long time. I've been a while since I've seen that one. But uh, let me. I'm gonna. This is JimCarry.com. Now I'm not a fan of Jim Carrey actually. Um, at least not most of his comedy style. I, the Jim Carrey movies in the '90s were always just too out there yeah, for okay. me <laughs> but i i appreciate a, a certain kind of creative out near this and his website is certainly a reflection of that um i would not have actually this is not the sort of site i would have expected jim carrey to put out uh, maybe like uh i don't know ronald Dahl <laughs> or um or terry 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 gilliam Gary, gilliam yeah maybe him um, we'll see how well it goes. It's going a little slower here it's than odd. I hoped. It was going faster earlier, wasn't it? Yeah. So the loading screen right now is like this it's earthworm the, crawling out yeah. of a hole and then circling around. It's very odd. Okay, here we go. So there's a variety of Jim Carrey and odd things. Yeah, this is Jim Carrey's webpage. That's uh, interesting. There's toast. There's a rocket. There's guy riding a... VW van. There's a. So can you click things? So you just. Yes. Well, okay. I'll let, uh, here, I'll let you explore. Okay, this. with his mouth. Okay. Are these from all his movies then? Some. Yes, I believe so. Um, I, I don't quite get all the references. Um, nine. Nine? What do you mean nine? Well. Yeah, is it like search and did click? Did you click on something? Clicked on this. Oh. I thought. Usually that brings up another web page when you start seeing. It's like a countdown. Oh. Oh, there's a Yeti and a girl with the board. You know what this reminds This is, whoa, there you go. There's a Twitter. Twitter oh. feed. Oh, that's when it clicked the bird. That would make okay, sense. Okay, yeah, the bird is the Twitter. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, it makes sense. It's far too to set world. All right. So the little balloon coming out from Jim Carrey's head is still counting down. It's at five right now. Yeah. So oh, here's his is head. He, isn't this very Terry Gilliam? This, this is very like, well, yep. This is very much like, wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the head started singing. Yeah. This is, this the head is, with a tree growing out of it. Th- th- yeah. This is very much the intro to uh, Monty Python or any of those Monty Python cartoons. It's. <laughs> this is, yeah, this is bizarre. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Countdown just... went into his brain, I think. Very and scary now he's place. eating. Uh, now the Grinch is eating 
Come on. Then there's there's a some devil looking. That just shot laser beams out of his head at uh, someone riding a piranha a pra plant. And, yeah. Oh, it shot beamed at the Twitter bird. Okay. <laughs> My gallbladder surgery loading in. Uh, a video that's coming from a uh, eardrum that's coming out of a skull. Uh, wait, what? Oh, this is a gallbladder surgery. Oh, it is. Is this actual? Is this Jim Carrey's actual gallbladder surgery? I think it might be. Um, Not that I wanted to see that, but <laughs> now that I'm watching, I can't stop. <laughs> okay. Wow. Okay. Filmography. Okay, so we can go and see what he did if we want to click that little tiny button. The only same thing on this page. <laughs> there. I think that's supposed to be the Riddler in the background. Oh. In front of like Hell's Flames, apparently. Well, I, I suppose depending on what you're feeling of that movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is oddly odd, even for Jim Carrey. Canada, yes. it's where TV took a run on the waterfront. He's just reading random words that come out of the bird. Yeah. I, oh, there's there's a fireman Bill. Is that what it is? Yeah, he's definitely from 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 in Living Color. That's back in the day. Okay. Living Color was I didn't see much of it. it was kind of crazy. Yeah, this is. This is, uh, I suppose, if you were slightly um, okay. inebriated and or had not slept for a while, you could have some bad nightmares after seeing this page. Yeah, and especially if uh, internet speed is working better. Whoa, what in the world did you click I on? pressed show player. Oh, okay. And now there's hands that burn, and the incredible Burt Wonder... Oh. Okay, so this is so like the, the, must be different scenes from his. A video player that does clips and stuff, I'm guessing. Yep. Okay. Interesting. It's some mad genius came up with this, I'm pretty certain. <laughs> Which might just be Jim Carrey. But... Possibly, yes. Oh, yeah, look, there's actual there's actual menu here at the bottom. Oh, yeah. Whoa, look at that. Try something else. This this video is going to take too long to play, I think. Origins. Okay. And so... it's counting down very slowly for some reason. Yeah, I think it's because we're trying to stream while doing this at the same time. Oh, yeah. And maybe... maybe yeah. My internet's better than it was, but it's not great. And it's... <laughs> it looks like Voldemort right there. I think it's supposed to be Count Olaf from... Um, oh, probably is. But that green smoke looks a little bit uh, Voldemort. But yeah, yeah it's probably true. Olaf. Yeah, because I'm trying, I don't recognize all these roles, but then again, I haven't seen all his movies. Right. Or at least not for a while. Like, this guy looks like he's from Black and White. Is that actually Jim Carrey? Is there some other dude? I have no the idea. The guy, with, like black and white guy yeah. with the skull, who's like looking around. It could very well be him, for all I know. Okay, well, yeah, we'll see how the, where this goes. And then we'll probably call it a night. Yeah, but yeah, <laughs> I think I think this might be something worth typing in jimcarry.com. Yeah. And just uh, don't do it like on an empty stomach or after midnight. Because it like uh, it like whooshes to like different various locations. That's, and that's now a nice man. That's a nice transition though it is so now and now, someone's been a long time so now we're in a cityscape there's okay i reckon that's an snl reference there is uh jim carrey's a lifeguard okay this is origin so this must be his early stuff oh yeah that could be yeah there's yeah, pet yeah. detective oh yeah yeah ace ventura there's i don't know what's with the giant octopus that's wreaking havoc on the twitter bird yeah it's always a twitter oh the twitter bird is very versatile though Yes, and he's always just saying random junk, which I guess is Twitter. But yeah, yeah, there's again, interesting. If, if the if the connection is working better, there's a lot more things that you can click on. Uh, just visually, like visually, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, this this is not something to take younger children to. By the way, <laughs> um, 
not only would they find it frightening, there are, in the quotes, there are a couple minor swear words. Oh, uh, well, didn't care. But yeah, yeah. It care. Interesting. This must be him as a boy here over here, the black and white deal. Uh, yes, possibly. Somewhere, yeah, some, I don't remember where it was. Somewhere there is a gallery that it, where it has some, like, kid I, photo, I, pictures of his. I wonder who, who designed this and what they felt about doing this. I mean, take <laughs> yes. some effort. I mean, that's kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's a website that you enjoy exploring simply because it's so out there. Odd. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I don't really, I really don't understand what's with the guy that keeps popping up with the, only antlers for a head taking pictures of us. Yeah. I like, he, like, literally, he has no head except for antlers. It's, it's weird. So, but yes. His face is an entire goat. <laughs> Sorry, that's. So, yes, if, if you enjoyed, if you enjoyed this, go, you should check out the Glove and Boots video, 10 Things We that, Don't that Understand great, on the Internet. Yeah, that is a great video. I remember they, they I don't know, I'm curious where they find stuff. Because, like, they apparently found that, I remember they found this one channel on YouTube that's this guy smoking a pipe. Oh, yeah, like, like, yeah, like hundreds of videos of him smoking pipes. Yeah. And be like, why would you do that? <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> or uh, I guess there's some page I, I forget. I don't know the address or I would tell you, but I guess there's some page that is just Bill Cosby. Like it's just like a goofy uh, GIF or GIF or how Bill Cosby, just Bill doing... Cosby doing something very Bill Cosby. Well, that's the, <laughs> the Internet has unleashed creativity of all sorts. Yes. And actually, this is a perfect spot if you know of some weirdness that you would like us, like us to explore on. It came from the interwebs. Yeah, if you want to shock us both, and we'll just type it in, and yeah, we'll just type <laughs> it in, and we'll go with it. Uh, we'll go with it. So, all right. Um, I guess it's time to wrap this up. Yeah, I think I, I think Tuesday is trying to get us to help with some sort of case here. Oh yes, I'll go get George. I think he's on his phone with his wife Martha, and uh, we'll go hit the street. And, okay, and we'll get to work on this case. And meanwhile. Uh, while I'm doing that, why don't you uh, get tell us the contact info? Okay, now let's see if I can remember. So, uh, you can listen to us at derilledtrainsofthought.blogspot.com, also on iTunes, and you can contact us by e- email at uh, derilledtrains at gmail.com, and that's what we've got for your uh, contact. Yep, that's oh, what we got. Oh, hi. Good. Oh, uh, yeah, he, he's coming. So, oh, oh, good, good, good. So, what's the song we're about? We're gonna oh, listen yeah. to on our way. We got, up. Okay, so. Um, there's this game I used to play called, well, I played like, I ran it a couple times called Soul Blazer. And it was kind of cool because, like, you were in this, I don't know why, but the world, like, all, everyone was captured or abducted or whatever. And then you go around and you would rescue people and then you go back to the city and they would be there. And then they would give you, you could talk to them, they could give you hints or weapons, you go farther on. So you were, like, reconstructing the whole city. Um, and there was various stages, you'd reconstruct various cities. Um, and it just fascinated me, and it's inspired ideas that have filed away to use for stories at other times. It's sort of, you know, making some, slowly rescuing people, and it changes how you play the rest of the thing. I, anyways, it was really cool. Um, Sounds neat, yeah. Well, it was fun. So Soul Blazer um, gave me ideas. It stuck with me a long time. I, every once in a while, I think, I need to hunt that up on an emulator. But anyways, this is, I think, the only remix for the game uh, called Tears for a Moonlit Night. Uh, night in this case is K N I G H T, and it's remixed by I- Israfel, who um, doesn't have many remixes, but all of them are cool. Like his Pac Man one, and his Shivers one. <laughs> his Shivers one is really good. Um, but anyway, I hope you enjoy this. Awesome. And um, go hunt down Soul Blazer if you never played it. I'll have to remember that one. <laughs> 
All right, thanks for listening. This has been Derailed Trains of Thought, episode 46. This is Tim. This is Nick. Adios. Bye. I don't know why. Well, why did you? <laughs> they can't see a peace sign, Nick. No, they can't. <laughs>